You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. Awesome! Glory! Hallelujah! Fantastic, Fanshaw. I'm good, glad to see that your wife is online this morning. Brachi, good to see you. Mariam, we declare healing over you after your knee operation, over Lynette after her eye operation, over Simone after her hip operation, and over me because I need no operation. So fantastic. Glory, hallelujah. Fantastic. I'm going to have a chunk of fun this morning. Um, and so I hope that that you will. Any idea where I'm going to be sharing from this morning? How did you know? Absolutely. From Deuteronomy 4. No, I'm only joking. We're going straight to numbers this morning. We're going to talk big numbers, lots of numbers, high numbers, generosity numbers, and then we're going to take up tithes and offering. No, I'm only joking as well. So, Father, I thank you this morning that we are a generous group of people. I thank you for the generosity of this house. Although we don't take our tithes and offerings on a Saturday morning in, in a normal, traditional way, we thank you for the generosity of this house and all we're able to do in and through the generosity of this group of friends. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us and that you are going to have fun with us this morning as we are going to have fun with you this morning. Not you looking quite serious there. Are you serious this morning? Okay. Let's let's move move on. I'm just so so we've been talking about um for the book of Luke for the past couple of weeks. I don't know how many weeks, but it's been been a while. And so last week I shared a bit about the father and I started point one of the my perspective of the father and my plan was to carry on with how we release people has a huge impact on how we embrace them coming back. Remember that last week? For those of you here and for those of you who weren't here, you logged on and listened to the podcast or online. No, you didn't. But anyway, so last week I was talking about how we release people so that we can embrace them when they come back. And sometimes we don't, and, and the manner in which we do that is just so important. So my plan this morning was to share a little bit on how we release people so that we can embrace them when they come back home. Because my whole, my whole desire, my whole part of this series is how do we bring people back home? Back home to local church, back home to the kingdom of God, back home to who they're supposed to be. And so I was so excited. Last week, Sunday morning, I just, I just wanted to like carry on. And I was disciplined. I pressed pause. I started going to do it this week. And so uh, Monday, I was doing a lot of admin things. And Tuesday, I'm back into prep. And I was preparing. And it just wasn't coming together. And so I thought, that's fine. I'll just have more coffee. And then Wednesday, it'll come together. And Wednesday, didn't come together. And Thursday, I persevered because my folks didn't raise a quitter. And so I just carried on. And then it didn't come together. And Friday, I carried on. And it didn't come together. And so Saturday morning, I gave up. And I decided, okay, fine, we're not going to force the issue and make it happen. And so I'm going to do something else. But I'm still going to be sharing out of Luke 15. But for now, I'm wanting to wrap up my messages on, on Luke 15. And I say for now, because this is such a 
fabulous passage of scripture that is so much part of my DNA and I hope it's part of the DNA of us as a community and as a church that I trust we'll come back to it on a regular basis until it just becomes something that we live out continually in our everyday being. And, you know, the reality is we can do that because we can go through passages of Scripture time and time again, over and over again. And the more we go over a passage of Scripture, the more we just go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And and we have a greater sense of, of the layers of revelation and knowledge and understanding. And where we are in our lives suddenly makes it so much more vital. Wow, I would never have known that if it wasn't because of what my current situation and circumstances or my overcoming or the folk around me are. And so scripture just becomes alive every time we read it. And so for me, this passage of scripture, scripture Luke 6, 15, is fundamental to discipleship, to maturity, to growth. For me, it's foundational to the kingdom of God. And uh, Francois, if you were prophetic or had words of knowledge or something, you'd know I'm desperate for my bottle of water that's sitting next to you. So as soon, as soon as God talks to you, uh, please you give me my, my, my bottle of water. And so the, this passage of Scripture, I believe, is a mandate to us as believers. For us to wake up, as we were saying in worship this morning, for us to wake up and to be able to embrace the communities around us. This passage of scripture helps us be able to transform and impact our communities and our nations. I believe it's a prophetic scripture. And I believe this morning, Holy Spirit is inviting us as Real Life Church to dive deeper into all that He has for us in the fullness of number 15, Luke 15. Our mandate, your mandate this morning, is to walk into the maturity of what Holy Spirit has for us is not to, to just dabble with it. It's not to flick it around like a kid does with vegetables and gem squash on their plate and just try and take it out of the packaging and spread it around so it looks less and looks like you've, you've eaten half of your, your veggies. No, we, we don't. It's not to dabble around. It's to say, okay, God, I want the fullness. I want to embrace all that Luke 15 is for me. And so as I wrap up Luke 15, for the past couple of weeks, we've been focused totally on verses 11 to 25, the parable of the so-called prodigal son, the, the, the story of the, lad, of, of the dad and his two lads. And so this morning, as I wrap up for now, Luke 15, I'm wanting to zoom out. So or, or just take your, your imaginations and zoom out. So that we like zoom out and we're going to do the whole of Luke 15. And so Luke 15 starts off with the story of a good shepherd. And we all love a good shepherd. Hands up, who loves a good shepherd? We all love a good shepherd. The good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And from our beginning at Sunday school, we were told about this good shepherd that we love. And he gave up on the 99 and he just went looking for you. And he found you. He found the one and he brought that one back into fellowship and back into his fold and back into kingdom. And it's just so amazing. Jesus found you and brought you home. The good shepherd. And then the story moves on to the woman who collected coins. And sometimes we think this is just like a two-hand coin that was lost in the car park when you're giving the car guard change. 
But these coins were valuable coins. And we know this because she turned her house upside down to try and find these coins. Culturally, these coins were part, probably part of her dowry, her labola. And so it wasn't just a two-rand coin or a one-rand coin. It wasn't even a $200 note or, or anything. This was like trying to chase after Krugerrands. These were coins of significant value. And so it made sense for her to do everything she could to find the coin. And then we move on to the story of the father, the story of the dad and his lads. Both sons were lost. And both sons had a different type of loss. And Holy Spirit and dad embraced them. And friends, I'm wanting to put a slightly different slant and understanding on this this morning. Because all three of these stories that Jesus said were about lost things. And so Jesus is telling the story about these lost things. The lost... Um, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And when Jesus is saying this, he's talking about this, but these stories are actually creating tension in the people who are listening to them. And sometimes we've listened to these stories so long, we've listened to these, so, these stories so often, we think that they are just amazing, cute stories from Sunday school. How many of you know that these are just cute stories? The, 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 you know, how, how the, the shepherd goes looking for the lost one. How the, 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 the lady is just such a good housekeeper because she's searching after her coin. But they're not just cute stories. They are stories and for different reasons. These stories created tension in the room. These stories created tension to the people that Jesus was telling these stories to. These stories created so much tension that the people who were listening to them were prepared to kill Jesus because of the stories that he was saying. And how many of us have read any of these stories and thought that these are offensive stories that create tension in the room versus they are just awesome Sunday school stories? The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd that, that leaves the 99. How can the Good Shepherd be a Good Shepherd if he leaves the 99? How can the Shepherd be a Good Shepherd if he, he abandons and he's careless and he's reckless with the things and the, that he's been entrusted to? Is this a Shepherd who is focused and caring and nurturing or a reckless Shepherd? that abandons his post, abandons what he's called to, and gets distracted by running off the one. And the reason, part of the reason why this creates tension is because in the context of what Jesus is saying, the people that were listening to him were suddenly querying, am I the one or am I part of the 99? Am I the forgotten or am I the chosen? Am I the one that Jesus is going to, the shepherd is going to go and chase after? Or am I the 99 that he ignores to chase after the, the one? And then to make matters worse, Jesus starts to share a story about a woman who loses a coin. And Jesus tells a story about a woman. And in the context of what Jesus is saying, this woman is representing God. Now that is just so offensive. 
especially in this culture where Jesus is narrating a narrative and a story and God is represented by a woman. This would have created tension and annoyance and anger. What? God, a woman? It was highly offensive. Jesus is talking about a woman who represents God. And then Jesus moves on and he starts to talk about a... Father! And then he talks about a father. I did give you a clue on page one. Uh, and Jesus starts to talk about a father. And this is offensive. Why? Because everything about this father is anti-Jewish in culture. Everything about this father is anti the narrative of what a loving father is all about. Everything that this father did was crazy and disrespectful and out of culture and out of context and they did not relate to it at all. Why three stories? I'm glad you asked Amy. Why three stories? What could these stories represent? Any idea? Sorry? Very good, Nantu. You can have a double hot cross bun with cream this morning. Could it be that these three stories are talking about the Trinity? The shepherd, the son, the woman, the Holy Spirit, the father, the great father, the Trinity who looks and chases and runs after you. Could it be that Jesus is saying in his great authority that all of heaven is about these three things? And these three friends, things, friends are not a side hustle. These are not the three things that are the footnote to the story. These three things are the story. This is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ himself. This is how heaven does it. This is what matters to the heart of God. This is what happens when a company of believers rally together to bring in the kingdom of God. What matters is the heart of God. And so in my mind, Jesus is presenting an illustration that all of heaven is throwing a gigantic party to celebrate the homecoming and the coming of ho to home of all that was lost. I want to highlight a couple of things from each of them. When the good shepherd brings the sheep home, it says he felt exuberant joy and cheerful delight. When the shepherd brought that one home, he felt tremendous, exuberant joy and cheerful delight. There was a party and it wasn't just for him. He threw an extravagant party. When the woman found her lost coin, she created a joyful celebration for all of her friends and neighbors. This wasn't a quiche and coffee for two or three. Oh, and that's why we also know that this coin was a significant value. 
Because if she had found the, the, the lost ch loose change in the back of the sofa, she wouldn't have thrown such a big party. But she found this coin and through such a cheerful, joyful celebration for all of her friends and neighbors. And the father in the story feels great compassion and such overwhelming joy that he brings the fattened calf and he invites everybody to come and celebrate because the one that was lost is not only found but has come home. Friends, all of heaven is celebrating. This isn't just what heaven does. This isn't just the strategy of heaven. This isn't just the scheme of heaven. It's not just what God is up to. This is what heaven feels. Heaven feels an exuberant joy and cheerful delight, a celebration that encompasses overwhelming joy when one comes home. Friends, could Jesus be saying to us this morning that the kingdom of heaven is like a party? I think he is. That the kingdom of heaven is like a party because all of them invited their friends and their neighbors to come home, to come around for fun and for food and for celebration and for rejoicing. And so if we look at this, we go, yes, this is just amazing. This is heaven. And Holy Spirit and Jesus himself is inviting you to a party. An amazing thing for me is that the people who are listening to this get so angry and frustrated and miffed and irate. I was tempted to say something that I probably shouldn't on a Sunday morning. They were just getting irate. There's a clear message to us here. This is what heaven desires. This is the heart of God. This is what leads to a party. So friends, why are the people who are listening to this message getting frustrated and angry and upset? And I would suggest that part of it is because the party is not always what we expect it to look like. We get miffed, upset, frustrated when a party is thrown for somebody else who we think doesn't deserve it, who we think is not worthy of it, who we think the type of party that is thrown is not always the type of party that we would have thrown, that we would have wanted. The decor, the food, the snacks, the time, the day, the inconvenience of going to a party that is not what I want, where I want, and how I want it. But it's not every party or bra or celebration is what I expected. I remember going with your hunt to have a, a bra at, um, at a friend's business. And like we got there and go, okay, dude, I'm coming to join you for a, for a bra. And we got there 
and I don't know, like, why on earth are we going for a bridal? We've got to take our own gas. Johan's got to take his own food. We're doing everything. We're going to a company where we only know one people and all these people that we don't know. We just know that they're not safe and everything. And we had such an epic time of friendship and relationship that these brides and work hours for them are kind of continuing. And the opportunity for Kingdom to be established in a place of work was phenomenal. Not every bride I go to is what I expected. And I'm not the most, and I'm quite introvert. So sometimes if Addie says we're going to, to dinner, like even like we go to have dinner with like Rebecca and, and Kevin, everything in me goes, oh, I hope I say the right thing. I hope I behave. I hope they like me. I hope Kevin likes me. I hope it's nice. The one thing I always know is it's good food. And I always leave there going, oh, I have the time of my life. I just really have the most amazing times. And often I come back from a party or a celebration or a thank you. I think, wow, it was just so good. But it's not what I was expecting when I arrived. When the party is not what I want or what I have in mind, we get angry and tense and frustrated. If worship on a Sunday morning is not what I had in mind, I don't like the worship, I get frustrated, I get annoyed, I get somewhat irate. When Sunday morning's message doesn't leave me feeling pampered and special and adored, I don't leave, feel like this is what I liked. We get frustrated and annoyed. But the reality is in the prophetic word that came about us being an army of God, we all have a part to play. And sometimes in a party I'm preparing, Sometimes I'm being celebrated and sometimes I'm celebrating. And yet sometimes there's the most amazing surprise parties. Friends, how do we mature as a church? How do we mature as a company, as a battalion of believers? I think that phrase that came to the prayer meeting this morning is just so good. Sometimes we go, no, Lord, we, we use this word usher. We want to usher in the Holy Spirit. And in my mind, Usher is just so overly polite and British. It's, you know, like, we, you know, we, we have our waistcoats and we're kind and we'll usher you to your seat. And we'll, you know, would you mind sitting here? You know, why don't you have a, have a seat? And sometimes you need to say, actually, you know, foot sack, is that a good word, bad word? Is it okay? Sometimes you do say, foot sack, Usher, I'm telling you right now to get into your seat to strap in, to behave, to grow, to mature. I'm saying to you, because if you don't put your harness and your seatbelt on and your seat isn't in the, isn't in the you know, Nickelodeon Stadium or the Prince of Charles, sometimes your seat is in a roller coaster. And sometimes you just better strap in because we are going on a joyride. And so sometimes things are just not the way we want it. John 15, again, this came out in the prayer meeting from Luke 15 to John 15. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commandments and remained in His love. I've told you these things that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. How many of you want your joy to overflow? I want my joy to overflow, but I want Jesus' joy to overflow in me. And for Jesus' joy to overflow in me, I need to remain in His love. That was from the New Living Translation and now from the Mark's Translation. Oh, yeah. Brookie, I'm sorry. 
from the Passion Translation. I loved each of you with the same love that the Father has for me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commandments, you will live in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments. For I continually live nourished and empowered by His love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I, Jesus, have experienced will fill your heart with overflowing gladness. The love of God birthed in a life creates a joy and it creates a joy that is bigger than three words, three letters, J-O-Y. It creates something that is more powerful than happiness. It's a joy that is overflowing. It is a joy that is nurturing. And that came through in some of the prophetic words this morning as well. It's a nurturing of the kingdom of heaven. It is spirit and soul and mind and body nurturing and joy. This joy that Jesus receives from his Father that he pours out on us and he invites us to the party and the celebration. He says, Stu, my brew. He says, Aggie. He says, Aileen. He says, Johan, Trev, won't you come and join me in the celebration and party that I am living in that is called the kingdom of heaven? He says to his disciples in this passage so clearly, let this love that nourishes your hearts produce in you great joy. If you're not finding great joy, you're chasing after a three-letter word rather than the party and the celebration and the nourishment and the overflowing of the kingdom of God. Jesus was able to say that if you do all these things, you'll be able to do what I have called you to. Jesus was able to go to the cross because what was in his heart had been nourished and grown and matured. It was a never-ending joy. Jesus' ability his power, his surrender came from a place where his heart was thoroughly nourished. And this created a joy that was overflowing. How do we mature? How do we grow? Friends, we live from the party. When we live from the party, we are nurtured and our joy overflows. The party that God creates of joy is so powerful that we follow and we can surrender and we can engage in a world with love and joy. For in sickness and suffering, anxiety and worrying, having the pumpkin kicked out of you during the course of the week, having the whatever, just being bent out of shape by the things that happen to you and I during the course of the week, 
Those things can get to us. Those things can consume us. I'm not saying that they're not real. I'm not saying that they're not relevant. But I'm saying they don't overwhelm us if we are consumed by being nourished from being found in the party and the celebration of heaven. When we are continually being nourished, when we always come home to the party, when we live and operate from the party, because whenever we come home, we are coming home to a party and a celebration. Friends, I, I appreciate it. I love it when you arrive on a Sunday morning. Not just because I feel that my preparation has not been um, in vain. Thank you. But because it reminds us that we are an army. We are a company and a battalion doing life together. But the reality, friends, that just makes my insecurities be puffed up. But the reality is when you come home on a Sunday morning, heaven is inviting us to a party where we get to worship and celebrate and get nourished and find our joy together. That's what Sunday is all about. And when we love like this, when we worship like this, when we find obedience, then serving and fellowship is not something that we endure and overcome. It's something that we celebrate and have a party with. The party is where your soul and spirit are nurtured by the love of God. Holy Spirit, whilst you phone in this morning, we answer you and we hear you this morning. And we thank you that you are dialing in this morning to say, Church, I want this morning to nurture you so that you can love one another. Friends, we're in a stage where it's metric dance season, which seems to be like an eternity because you have, uh, we've got three children and they've got their metric dances and then their friends have got metric dances. And the way metric dances now work is totally different to the way we worked. But even in the UK, weddings are kind of like a South African metric dance. There are just so many functions and part of it. And a big part of metric dance culture for us are pre's. Where you all go to pre's, which are pre-drinks for what's going to happen for the rest of the evening. And, and, and you, you go to pre's, and like we went to a, a, a friend Hannah's pre's, and my goodness, it was like a banquet. It was like a wedding. They live just around the corner from you, Amy. You must become friends. They are like, they, they just eat and eat and eat and eat. And the table is dicked, and the drinks, and the food, and the everything. And they were just like, I think this is like a wedding for me, and this is just like pre's. This is the pre-drinks. This is the, the cocktails before the main event. And friends, Sunday morning, our worship here is like the cocktails before the main event. It's the priest before the celebration. It's just warming us up for the great things that are about to come. Why? Because the party is never in a building. The party is not about a venue. The party is never contained by walls or structures. The party is never contained by people or heaven forbid by a pastor the party is not created for you or for me by you or by me 
And the party is in the heart of the eternal God who made you from, for one reason. And this again came out in the prayer meeting this morning. Where's Jeffrey? The party is in the heart of God who created you for one reason, to have relationship and intimacy with you, to be connected with you. The party is in the heart of God. And if you're going to step into the fullness of the Luke 15 community, and I'm about to land, we must stop trying to throw the party. We must stop trying to throw a party on a Sunday morning. Please don't come to me for your party, because the party is in the heart of God. If you come to me for your party, you'll always leave here with unmet expectations. You would have always wanted a slap-up lamb spit when I serve you quiche. Or you come here for quiche and I prepared Yorkshire puddings, roast potatoes, roast beef, and the trimmings. Maturity is being able to celebrate together in unity with purpose and passion. Maturity, friends, is being able to understand that we live for and from the party of heaven, the heart of God. The party is being celebrated by God who loves you. Not by a pastor who simply does his best. Friends, when we get this right, we become the party. We don't throw the party, we don't attend the party, and we don't administrate the party. When we get this right, we become the party. And then the very party that we have tried to throw becomes us. The kingdom of God is a party. And I believe that Holy Spirit this morning is challenging us to say that some of these stories that we've felt are just such cute stories about a shepherd and a lost sheep, about a lady and a coin, about a father and his boys, where they can be such cute stories that we gloss over them. That the message that Jesus was saying to us was something far more profound. It was so profound that it created tension and questioning and unease and frustration in the people that he was saying it to. He was challenging them. Where are you in the celebration and the party and the heart of heaven? Are you part of the 99 and friends, we don't get insecure when father or friend goes off the one. If as a 99 we are positioned in the party in the celebration of heaven. The reason why we get offended is because often we are somewhere between the 99 or we are the one. And the reality is often we're not just the one, we are not even the one. We are offended because father and Holy Spirit and friends in community and church are searching after one and we don't even feel that we are that one. 
And this morning, I want you to encourage all of us. Holy Spirit, won't you allow us to embrace and become the party of heaven? I thank you that, the, that heaven is a party and you are calling us to celebrate and to live it and to be it. In your beautiful name. I'm going to hand over to Mark and Candice. Thank you, Father God. Amen. Thank you for listening. 